Hi, welcome to this episode of our podcast. I'm Mary Abazia, and with me is Tom Spitali and Sean Wellam. And Hi. of course, we're all with you from Impact Planning Group. And um, we just, we're passionate about marketing. And whenever we look around, we're always trying to figure it out. Well, that's what this is about. We're using a marketing lens for real cases out there. And the one that's come across our radar, of course, is Disney. Um, they've done a lot of different things. And we tried to peel back where is their strategy and what's working and not working, uh, why, how, those good questions. So Sean's going to take the lead and um, kind of set the stage for us. Thanks, Mary. So Disney Plus is obviously a streaming service. And I've become more aware of it recently because I have like a lot of people, Netflix, I have an Amazon Prime account. I recently got Apple TV, started off as a free subscription based on a new bit of tech i bought a phone or something and i kept it because of ted lasso if you've ever watched that it's a great show and then um and then the family is saying oh this is on disney you need to get disney and i'm like hang on something's got to give because we, we can't have every streaming service in the world here but the more i looked at disney's content and their growth they're clearly going to be dominating this market pretty soon. They're going to overtake Netflix, I would assume, in the next wow. year or so. Wow, that's a big – I'm going to put that down as a quote. There's a, a prediction. There you go. And it was because of this I was thinking, okay, so, so streaming is relatively new to most of us, and yet Disney, who are not new to most of us, a, a, a very long and storied business, have done so well – and I wanted to address it in two questions. And I thought that the, the way – well, we talked about this, and there's the, the big question of why – why did Disney create Disney Plus when the alternative was just licensing their vast back catalog? And once they'd made the decision, there's also a, a how question. How did they then go about executing this strategy that is very probably going to dominate or at least take market leadership in the, in the streaming? So the first question I'm going to throw out to you guys is why would Disney think Disney Plus was a good idea given their alternatives? I'm gonna I'm gonna steal your answer, Sean. That I, you know, we 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 do discuss these things beforehand. And I you were talking about the data, you know, the ability and the opportunity to gather data. I want to ask you to uh, a question. So if you think about the Tracy triangle, the Tracy Wiersma uh, triangle, the discipline of market leaders, which says all companies are predominantly either uh, product innovators, operationally excellent or customer intimate um, types of companies. Which one is Disney? I have to say customer intimate. I mean, they're not bad on the other two, but um, they just seem to be true to that end user. And some of the, the innovations that they've done are all in the spirit of making sure that they're they're really taking care of their, their customers and their customers, they have, I mean, their segmentation, I'd love to get behind it and really see because they seem to be working that well. So that's my answer, Sean. No, I totally agree. I, I think they're, they're I, I always have a problem with those triangles, the, 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 from the, the Porter's generic strategies to the, uh, to the Weismarad triangle. I always think you don't, it's not only one, right? It's, you excel at one, but Disney are, are fantastic operationally as well. That's one thing that you, you'll see. They in terms truly of are. Yeah, they truly so, are. Yeah. But, but I think the core, if you, if you want to see that, what do they operate fantastically on? It's understanding that customer, that, that very specific niche that they have. 
and also I, I guess strategically the courage to grow that niche, which is part of we'll get onto the how, but they they they've not just stuck with the mouse. They've grown in different directions, which is also a strength. But yeah, the customer intimacy, Tom, I'd have to answer your question. Totally, totally agree. By the way, uh Weirzuma, calling it the Weirzuma triangle, Fred Weirzuma. Thanks you, because it's always the Tracy Triangle, and I think they did it together, but nobody ever men mentions poor Fred. So I always so, like to stick up for the underdog, Tom. You know that. Yes, 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 yes. Um, I want to. Can so, I? Can I expand on that a little bit more, Tom? Sure. So your Your answer. Your, the question you had about that is: is it seems like you know the old Disney that we all know and love had yeah. our characters, and and it just seemed like almost almost like they looked at it and said, "Wait a minute, we aren't leveraging." any of that, of those gold mines that we have. And so what I think has been fascinating because they are customer focused and they really have understood what the customer's love for them is, is that they've been able to expand on their franchises and, you know, put all the princesses together. You know, we love each princess, but let, what happened when they go together, you know, and, and what if I can get it in a t-shirt now? What if I can get it on a video game? So I just, I feel like, you know, that was, what we're seeing as evidence of some of those things. Well, I mean, and Sean asked the question, maybe why why didn't they just license the, the content? Why did they decide to, to stream? And the reason I asked about customer intimacy is because what the, the sort of the, the capital of a customer intimate provider is customer knowledge and customer data. Understanding at a deep level, um, the needs and preferences of individual customers and being able to customize uh, offers Look, I mean, I live here in Tampa. I'm an hour away uh, on a good day, two hours away on most days because of traffic. But anyway, that's a whole nother topic. Um, but there are, in my experience, Disney people and non-Disney people. Okay. And I don't know, it's not a 50-50 thing. I mean, it's 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 probably, you know, 10 to 20% of the world is Disney people. Okay. Meaning they absolutely are passionate about Disney and spending time there in the experience. And so the opportunity to gather more data on who those people are and uh, understand them better, their viewing habits and being able to customize offers and just continue to, to broaden the scope of that relationship with those Disney people, I think is the reason behind uh, streaming in Disney Plus. I think also it's the, you know, they, if they'd have chosen to just, they got a huge back catalog of of, uh, of quality content, and they could have monetized that. And really, in in terms of Porter's Five Forces, that supplier power, they could have squeezed most of the rent out of streaming in the short term. It's one of the reasons I think the markets didn't particularly like Disney's strategy because they were giving up billions of risk free cash. But I think they just recognized that if they had data, or rather they they wouldn't want Netflix to have the data or somebody else because that's so valuable in terms of viewing habits and what works and what doesn't. And that feeds the the creation of these characters, which, of course, they monetize in many ways through the theme parks and resorts, through merchandising, through the actual product and, and uh, derivatives. So they really have to hang on to that data for long-term viability. And while they're taking a short-term financial hit, it's going to pay off in the in in the long term because ultimately, content will remain king, and you don't get great content if you're not tapped into the to your users to your customers, and that's a lesson for all of us, right? Not just a, a massive media company. You don't tap into your customers. Your content, whatever that might be, is never going to be as good as it could. Yeah. Mm. 
So the question yeah. after that is is how, right? Like, do we move on to that now? Like how do they yeah. how do they take this vision of broadening content and and going direct to consumer? How did that how did they do it? I think they hired the right people, number one and number two. <laughs> yeah. um, I mean, oh, they just you know what is interesting is is it, it, Tom and I actually had done a bunch of sessions in that um in California. And it was interesting that some of the buildings that we were working in and near were all of their school. And, you know, they they kind of have this under everything else. They're teaching people the Disney way and they're well respected as being you know leaders and teachers of best practices. And so I wonder if some of that was where they attracted top talent that is known for executing in these new spaces, because if you're a company doing a, and then you decide, oh, look over there, there's a really good market opportunity for us. And you go to B, a lot of times you crash and burn because you just don't have that experience. But it seems as though they've actually, as you've described, done it incredibly well. And I've got to believe that they, they you know, knew that it was a good place, but then they invested in the right people. Yeah. It's a culture of execution, starting with the theme parks, right? What, what I've always... Um, really admired about the theme park experience is they're one of the few companies these days uh, that has the has mastered the concept of front stage backstage like if you have a beef <laughs> with anything that's happening in your employment experience with Disney it is not visible to any of the customers at the theme parks. It's back, that is all considered backstage. And they've, and and I know that sounds strange to bring up in this wide ranging discussion of how they did it. But I think that if they have been able, and they probably have to bring that culture of execution over to the other, you know, business units and divisions. And I imagine that they probably have, it's probably gotten more difficult as the organization has grown. I mean, I think that's just a big thing. I mean, it comes with hiring right people, but having, you know, everybody having this, this total um, mindset of executing and, and, and following through and experimentation and, and piloting and, yeah, I, I think it, there's also, um, dare I say, like in most ventures, there's an element of luck and timing involved because I believe they 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 bought Pixar back in 2006. And I think the driver for that wasn't so much with a view to the streaming future, which maybe not wouldn't have been that clear at the time, but it was more to do with one of their core strengths is their animation studios. That's, that's what most of us grew up understanding Disney to be. And Pixar was his next generation of, of animation, and, and they just wanted to be part of that. So they bought Pixar. They bought Marvel 2009. And again, probably mainly because of the rich character base. You know, there's all these identified characters within the Marvel universe that lend themselves to the sorts of um, things that Disney produce. Again, broadening that base of content. And I think that then led them to realize that, hey, we've got a pretty strong um franchise here of, of different characters because a lot of their stuff is character based even when they bring new animations out we we fall in love with the latest new princess or character or whatever it happens to be and then, of course then they acquired star wars or lucasfilm and all of a sudden they've got this monster catalog of most of the current big names in terms of uh, box office success recently 
But I think a lot of it was now we've got all this content and we see Netflix and we're making money licensing it to them. They see the next. So I think it just says that all strategy has to be agile, right? We'd be foolish to, to look back and think in 2006, they had this integrated step-by-step path to dominance in streaming. Rather, as they addressed different strategic issues, they kept agile and kept looking at the environment and then said, this is how it's, uh, this is what we're shooting for now with Disney+. Plus." Sean, you talked a lot about innovation, new characters, you know, new, new channels. And when it comes to the now famous Weirzema triangle, that Sean named, <laughs> it's, it's funny that customer intimacy and product innovation actually seem to feed each other. You know, uh, it, it seems that most of the operationally excellent companies are really just totally focused on driving out costs and being, you know, great, great, great operators. But Disney being a very um, customer intimate organization and always having this mindset of gathering data, I think that that helps them to understand new trends, you know, streaming and just different distribution channels and probably helps feed, um, you know, some of the creativity around the new characters that they're creating as well. So it seems like that those those two can can feed each other pretty well. I think also, I, I, you know, the the um, another, another my another point about these triangle models is they always shift over time because what's coming in the streaming world is going to be this era of consolidation, of price or cost cutting and price increasing, um, of acquisitions and takeovers. It has to happen because you're about two billion subscriptions out there. That obviously many people have multiple subscriptions, so there's not that many subscribers. Two billion, that isn't growing. And he's like, this is soon to become a zero-sum game. And as a consequence, as people compete for the same customers rather than expanding the market, you're going to have price wars, you're going to have casualties of war, you're going to have acquisitions, and it will stabilize. But I'm not sure what the long-term future is. I think we're approaching a really interesting period of consolidation within streaming. I think we're there already. Again, so, that's my opinion. Yeah. So, Sean, you had you had made a prediction that um, Netflix, that Disney will overtake Netflix, and I'm just curious um, how you know we're we're discussing that Disney has just this plethora of characters, and you know they just they seem to be agile and their base is solid. Then you have Netflix over here. So, where is Netflix on the triangle? And if you are Netflix trying to compete with Disney. What could you do? I mean, this is a question for both you guys. Yeah, you know, I think I think Netflix are in a tough spot. It's 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 a classic. I, I wrote an article it's on our website called "The Second Mouse Gets the Cheese." And that's Tom. Unless you rename it, Tom. Tom is our headline writer, but uh, "The Second Mouse Gets the Cheese" about. I would not rename not, that. That's brilliant. I love that. <laughs> it's not the pioneer that gets the spoils. It's whoever follows up with the learning as they go. And I, I fear that that Netflix may have to accept their fate as the the pioneers that didn't quite capture all the market. So is, is their future? They've got to create content. Content's really expensive. Now they've got to outcompete Disney for creating content with Lucasfilm and Pixar. And um, it's just not going to happen. It's so hard. So they're going to become more niche. 
I don't know the future. I just think it's going to be very tough for net Netflix as a distribution arm as opposed to a content creator. It's whether they can scale up, hence acquisitions and mergers is probably how it's going to play out. I don't see a, a, another way. Sean, Sean, when you predict the overtaking, mm. are you including the ESPN? No, no. If you include ESPN and Hulu, because they own 60% of Hulu following the Fox uh, acquisition, they're already ahead of Netflix in subscribers. But if you look at Disney Plus versus Netflix, I think they'll overtake next year, 2024. Wow. Okay. That's so take advice from an investment professional before you listen to a word I say, people, by the way. I just I, I, yeah. I feel like I should put some sort of warning that I'm not an expert. I just no. have a opinion. No. <laughs> and this would be a one um, you know, we do war games and you know, I would I would love to see how this war games out, you know, where you create a simulation of different scenarios. And um, I mean, we we keep thinking that there's just the two, but you never know. There's a third rogue player that may come in and, you know, disrupt the whole thing with new technology or something. And, you know, the game will be played very different in five to 10 years. So Apple, Apple TV, is, it might be, it might be Apple TV. Apple, Apple suffer from, they, they churn their, they, they almost a hundred percent churn of their customers because of the, because of this free buy an iPhone, get three months free. They have a lot of churn. They, they don't have, they're getting better with content. The thing is with Apple and with Amazon, they've pretty much got bottomless pockets for creating content yeah. if they wish to, right? Netflix don't have that. They, they're not part of a, a bigger business. Apple obviously is, well, Apple, Amazon is this massive global retailer, both with aspirations on streaming. Mm -hmm. Netflix is the, the OG, the original, um, the uh, original streaming service. And that's why I think they've, they've kickstarted this market, but they probably don't have the asset base. So Meta should buy um, Netflix. Yeah. Oh, well, what about uh, Tencent or or Aichi, the two big Chinese streaming services? I mean, I know that's probably politically going to be different, but don't forget we we're looking a Western view. To two of the top five streaming companies are, are Chinese based, so there's always that option, right? We have the resources. Yeah, we have to wrap this up, but um, we hope that we've opened your mind in some new ways, and maybe you're gonna you know, subscribe to a few new streaming services or drop a few. After thinking if nothing about else, it. watch Ted Lasso. If nothing else, watch that but, show. Um, thank you for joining us for this. And anytime we are always, we love getting the comments that you're sending in. So thank you. Thank you.